0: Make sure you scratch your beard. Do you want to knock the pop filter now just to get it out of the way? There we go. Perfect. Griffin, do you think that we talk too much about mediocre teams? Because On this
1: podcast or as a sports community?
0: As a sports community. Because I feel like, you know, it's like, who are the most talked about teams? The NFL is a little different, but like, who are the most talked about teams in the NFL? I feel like the Bills get talked about a lot, and then it's like, I feel like I hear about the Packers and the Bucks every week, and it's like, they lost again, and then it's like, the NHL, who is the team that's talked about most in the NHL by a huge margin, the Maple Leafs, for being mediocre, you know, we're going to talk about a couple of underwhelming teams in the NBA in a little bit, but I feel like those teams often get talked about more than any other team as well. Are we are we too drawn to a lack of performance, especially with on the team with star players.
1: Well, I think that's the key there, Chris, is that all of the teams that you mentioned have big like expectations coming into the season. The Leafs, the Bucks, the Packers, so like I'm not sure if we're actually drawn to mediocre teams. Like is anyone out here talking about the like Tennessee Titans every week or are we attracted to underperforming teams and what does that say about us as a sports society
0: I think that's definitely true I do think also I feel like we've talked about this a lot but I do feel like social media definitely exacerbates like I feel like hater culture is at an all-time high and I don't even think that people who like what like, people who I would consider like good sports fans, or, like sports fans who have good takes on things, I feel like even they are not immune to being like, haha, the Lakers lose again." I mean, I'm with the Lakers specifically. I'm not immune either, but I feel like like even the most you know knowledgeable and nuanced sports fan still loves to pile on a bad team.
1: Yeah, I do think that there's some sort of appeal in that, and also just like. By the t- usually the good teams get good and stay good, the bad teams get good and stay bad. Like, the most change happens in the middle. So as fun as it is to talk about good teams and say, holy crap, have you seen the Phoenix Suns? Like, they just keep winning. Uh, I mean, I think eventually it's just like, can you have the same conversation again, or do you talk about how the Chicago Bulls won two and then lost three? Like, which is the real Chicago Bulls? So I do think that... Uh, there might be like we don't appreciate the greatness that we see enough. We get bored with it too fast. Um, but I do think that there is a reason behind our love of mediocrity.
0: Sure, I do also think. I know that was a perfect segue into the episode, but I'm not finished talking about it. Um, <laughs> I do feel like with especially like I'm thinking mainly about the Bucks and the Packers. I feel like I hear every single week about how the Bucks or the Packers were upset again like constantly
1: yeah yeah well i mean that i think is just a case of maybe the two greatest quarterbacks of all time both getting old and becoming bad in the exact same year like it's a changing of the guard
0: absolutely well speaking of becoming old and getting bad in the exact same year it's time for another episode of high floor low ceiling
1: assume i'm becoming bad and you're getting old is that or is the podcast just doing both
0: i think i thought the implication was that we were both becoming bad of course famously i'm already old i'm in my mid to late 20s <gasps> which to oh. you is i might as well be dead
1: i'm firmly mid 20s and loving every second of it
0: yeah you really put the mid and mid 20s oh no wait uh, do not bring New York Joe into this, please. That's that's
1: just my. Whoa, whoa you got me. <laughs> whoa.
0: Um, welcome to high flow, low ceiling. Happy, funny Vember to all who celebrate Griffin. We are back. We're back for with another our year.
1: Monthly themes.
0: Yep, kick things off with a gala event. Watched. Uh, that's my boy.
1: Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> on your Letterboxd. I replied, but you never acknowledge me on Letterboxd. I'm a big fan of your letterbox, but I think that's where you interact with your film friends, so you try and keep me separate. You just pretend that I'm some fan of yours.
0: <laughs> well, it's always nice to be a fan, famously. Um, <laughs> looking at your favorite films on Letterboxd, Griffin, uh, two you have two uh, class, funny-vember classics, I would argue, well, I in think. your top four Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. I don't know if you know this, Griffin, but for some time my uh, Twitter header on my, you know, on my more shall we say not inflammatory, but my less serious account was uh, the, of course, famously Austin Powers penned book. (laughs) Let me get the uh, exact title here.
1: Oh, uh, If I could try it, I believe it's Swedish penis pumping in (laughs) Swedish penis. There's the word pumping in there
0: somewhere.
1: Yep. Swedish penis enlarger pumps are my bag, baby. By Austin Powers. That's my
0: best (laughs) guess. You're very close. It's Swedish-made penis enlarger pumps and me colon parenthetical. This sort of (laughs) thing is my bag, baby.
1: (laughs) It's one of the funniest movies. Oh my god.
0: It's so funny. Um, and, of course, Anchorman. Do you, have any, do you have a favorite Anchorman bit? Of course, uh, the the big news showdown is a f- worldwide favorite.
1: Yeah, that one, like, I like that one, but I do think that my favorite bit is uh, probably I Love Lamp. I think that sure. one's so funny, and Steve Carell is so good in that movie as Brick Tamland, beloved weatherman. Um, Steve
0: Carell kind of, like, the underrated MVP of the sort of mid 2000s era. I mean, I guess he wasn't in as many movies as say a Will Ferrell, but you know, it's a, a really an underrated funny member, uh, joint get smart.
1: Yes. yes, I watched that. Uh, I've never seen the original series. Um, that actually I,
0: seems like it would to quote Austin Powers, be your bag baby.
1: That kind of thing is my bag baby. No, I, I have always heard good things. I know that, uh, both my father and my girlfriend, big fans of the Get Smart original series. Wow. Um, but yeah, the movie's good. It's fine. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: an early, uh, an early great Dwayne Johnson performance before he yes. sort of yes. broke into the mainstream.
1: I also noticed that for Funny Vember, you watched Hereditary, uh, a classic laugh-out-loud
0: yes. laugh comedy. I did watch Hereditary, my partner had never seen it uh, and so there was a little bit of spooktober uh, overlap there and, and your, it's... Your
1: review was um, like, I don't care what anyone says, this is scary when I believe Hereditary is like famously one of the most scary movies of all time. I'm, I think you might have made up a couple of your opponents there, fishing for letterbox likes. Well Griffin,
0: you and I operate in different circles, people That's have true. different opinions of movies... If I, if I talk to you about everything everywhere all at once, there are two vastly different worlds that uh, people occupy. I feel like a twenty-four is kind of the inflection point for, like you know, your average movie lover. Because I do consider you a movie lover.
1: I do, but I'm not. <laughs> a, I'm not a like hardcore cinephile. Either. Exactly.
0: I think. I think a twenty-four is very much a, uh, you know. One of those things, a point of contention between uh, between those two sides, where uh, a movie lover would, will probably really like most of those movies, and a cinephile might be a little more derisive towards them. But
1: yeah, I'm the kind of movie lover who, like, every year is like, "Wow, most of the best picture nominees were really good this year." Or sure. I feel like some cinephiles would uh, sort of look down their nose. I yes, you, I think you tend to. Yeah, you, you you have a foot in both worlds.
0: I think that's absolutely true. And I appreciate you acknowledging that. Um, Griffin. You're a person of the people. Thank you very much. Uh, Griffin, of course, finally, like you've you've been waiting for this for so long. You were so happy when this news broke. Elon Musk has taken control of Twitter. You told the me that you were
1: freed. You were
0: happy about the layoffs. <laughs> That
1: I was, yes. Did you see, he walked into the office with a sink, Chris. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. What does that mean? I don't know. I just, I never even clicked on the video enough to hear (laughs) the audio. I just saw him walking around with a sink and I was like, oh. What an awesome guy. (laughs) (laughs) I saw one tweet that was like, it gives me so much solace to know that no matter how much money he has, it will never give him the one thing he truly wants, which is to be funny. That's so... Oh, I thought that was very true. He is an aggressively unfunny person.
0: Absolutely. Um, but more importantly, Griffin, for a mere $20 a month...
1: It's $8 now. Have you missed out on the discourse? <laughs> <laughs> Stephen um, King got it negotiated down to $8 a month.
0: Fantastic. Uh, that actually reminds me of a, a, a great Cullen Ashley tweet. Uh, <laughs> which one? <laughs> yeah, please, please, please. Um apropos of nothing, but you saying that mention uh, made me think of it. I'm reading from uh, Twitter.com that uh, chefs on Twitter be like, and for discourse we're having fish, and then for discourse we're having soup.
1: I saw that tweet, I gotta admit might have been more of a cinephile tweet than a film lover tweet, went over my wow. head a bit. Well, just, um, you know, discourse. Oh, discourse. Ah, it, it went under <laughs> <Wow>. my head. <laughs>
0: Um, But the important question, Griffin, should we get verified for, you know, $100 is all we need for a year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we could afford not to at this point. Think about all the privileges. (laughs) I do think you kind of
0: mean this seriously.
1: (laughs) No, I'm never in my life going to pay a single cent for anything on Twitter, especially to Elon Musk. But it would have been cool... To earn the verification badge before it got prostituted out. Um, wow, strong
0: words from Grim reporter on the new verification system on Twitter.
1: So apologies uh, to the HFLC podcast account. You deserved better. You deserved verification a long time ago. So true. It is so, the verified so account of this podcast. Like
0: absolutely. Hey, there are a lot of fakes running around out there. In the comments of any big YouTube video, you'll see an eight. You'll see. An HFLC fake account replying to people and being like, thanks, I'm giving away Bitcoin.
1: Don't click click on this link. Don't click on those guys. That's not us.
0: Guys, we would never. All of our Bitcoin (laughs) giveaways are through giving
1: away their Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) That too.
0: But all of our Bitcoin giveaways go through our official channels.
1: Right. We will mention it on this podcast when we are doing a big bitcoin giveaway
0: <laughs> absolutely um another really cool thing is a uh, cryptocurrency <laughs> griffin let's talk about sports uh yeah, the nba like season uh, has started to swing where i think Ooh. you know most teams are is
1: its partner okay with that
0: <laughs> well you know i think with if without the awareness and acknowledgement of a partner it's just cheating
1: oh yeah that's a good point but I will say the NBA season's partner, probably the NHL season, much more conservative than the NBA season. So <laughs> I do really think true. that uh, the NBA, the NHL season would be like, if it's what you have to do. But I don't. Yeah, like it, Yeah, the not NHL doing wants to myself. keep this
0: marriage together. Um, yes, the NBA is the gas, <laughs> the NHL's the brakes, as we all know. Um, but we are. There have been some. I'd say it's quite a surprising start. I mean it is still quite early, you know, we're still in the kind of area where, like, two or three games by any given team in either direction can pretty drastically swing the way the standings look, but, you know, we like to, we love to overreact here.
1: Yeah, I had this conversation with my mother last night when we were watching the Raptors, she was like, uh, oh my god, we're really beating the Spurs, and I was like, yeah, the Spurs are terrible. And she's like, they're six and two. And I'm like, they're Yeah, still the Spurs terrible.
0: are a great team, apparently. <laughs> um, shout out to a good friend of mine, has uh the Spurs under. And so whenever the Spurs win a game lately, I've been taking to uh to the group chat and being like they're twenty percent there.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, the, un- the over under must have been low for this. Program. It was,
0: I believe, twenty three and a half or twenty two and a half, and they're already like tw- they're. I think they're twenty two percent of the way there already. Yeah,
1: that's the thing. Like, even if they do end up finishing last, all you need is one hot month like they're having right now, and when, when you're betting that low,
0: exactly. But let's uh, let's not spoil the. Uh, the big payoff to this segment, Griffin, right, we are going to (laughs) look at a couple of teams and see which one is more surprising to us based on their start so far. Uh, Probably the most surprise. Well, here's where I'll start. Surprising or not surprising. Steve Nash's firing seven games into the season for the Brooklyn Nets. They were, I think, two and five to start. A very tepid start to the season. Obviously, plenty of off-the-court drama, as as there won't. But Steve Nash being... Because, you know, of course, famously, we heard that Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash and Sean Marks fired. We heard that was, like, a big part of his trade request. And then they were like, no, we're standing by Steve Nash. And then, like, seven games in the season, they're like, we're no longer standing by (laughs) Steve Nash.
1: I think it was six. I think their seventh game has happened since they fired him and they lost. Um, yeah, Chris, uh, you and I made a decision before the podcast. We're not going to get into the Nets off the court stuff. I don't have the energy. I don't know about you.
0: I mean, I th- my main thing is like, what is there to say about
1: it? Uh, we are pro-Semitism. Is that, is that how you say it? <laughs> We're anti-anti-Semites. Um,
0: Absolutely. We are anti bigotry. In all its in forms. In all
1: forms, absolutely. Couldn't have put it better myself as an anti bigot. Um <laughs> But yes, uh, that's all on that. <laughs> I need it I need a moment to collect myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I am surprised that the Nets fired Steve Nash, if for no other reason than like teams don't usually admit that they're wrong that fast. And I don't even think that the Nets, like I truly think we have no idea how good of a coach Steve Nash is. Like there is no way to know based on this Brooklyn Nets tenure where he had James Harden and they looked like the best team in the league, but then everyone got hurt and Kyrie ruined everything. And then they were able to get Ben Simmons back and everyone looked healthy again. And then Kyrie ruined everything. Um, so, (laughs) but we're not talking about, um, (laughs) But, yeah, I think, like, I do th- I do find it surprising just because they stuck by him and then didn't even give him 10% of the season. Like, what? I, I half wonder if he quit, if he was just like, I don't want to I- deal with this.
0: I do think that that might actually be part of it. Like, because, you know, there was obviously the scuttlebutt was we've mutually agreed to part ways, which is, uh, I feel like, a thing, obviously, you hear a lot that is... By default, you assume that's not true. But I do almost feel like it could be the case in this situation because it's like he he had, a, I assume, a trying summer. Yes. <laughs> uh, a lot of his name came up in the news quite a bit. And then, you know, less than te- fewer than 10 games into the season, he's dealing with a terrible record. Uh, they, like, might not be a good team as constructed. Like, maybe he... Who knows how much he wanted ben simmons to be in the rotation or in the on the team and so he's dealing with a very strange roster they're losing a lot and then and then <laughs> Kyrie from the top rope really <laughs> injects a lot of uh adds fuel to the fire shall we say yeah i and mean so... all
1: i'm saying is that if i was steve nash i'd be sitting in my office being like i'm maybe like a top three point guard in NBA history. I'm a (laughs) hall of famer. I have two MVPs. I didn't even want to be a coach. I was a front off. He was the GM of team Canada and a front office executive with the Warriors. It didn't seem like he had any interest in coaching. If I was him, I'd be sitting there like, why am I dealing with this? Why am I forcing myself to like go out and represent these guys? Right. Screw this. I'm going to go like live on a beach in California. Like you don't (laughs) need this. Yeah, absolutely. And like,
0: he, as you said, we we really don't know if what kind of coach he is at all. He was I think he was basically put in a situation where regardless at some point he was going to become the scapegoat for something. Oh because yeah. he has a team with like two of the most volatile players in the league, or like two of the most sort of mercurial players in the league.
1: But both of whom are like phenomenally talented and have super high expectations attached to them.
0: Yes, but then also a team that's, like, not that good, apparently. Like, <laughs> they're the, currently the worst defense in the league. And it's one of those, you know, we're going to talk about another team shortly, but it's another situation where both of the, where the, the two stars are playing the way that you would want your two stars to play, at least, you know, by by the numbers. But it has not translated into winning in any tangible way.
1: Yeah, and that is, I think, when the ground gets ripe for a coach to be let go. But, like, six games? That's crazy.
0: Right. It is crazy. Um, Do you have any thoughts on Ben Simmons so far this year?
1: Uh, uh, I mean...
0: 6.6.5 rebounds, 7 assists. Kind of a weird stat line.
1: Yeah, he's not playing well. I don't think that's hard-hitting analysis. I feel bad. I hope that it's mostly rust. He hadn't played in, what, like, two years? I hope it's Rust and not Russ, let's put it that way. Um so true. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I hope that he can get it back. He's an exciting player to watch when he is at his best. So, I mean, who the hell knows what that locker room is like right now for a guy who has had really. mental health issues in the past. And, like, so maybe maybe they should trade him. I mean, they can't trade him, but for his sake, maybe. Yeah,
0: I just, I can't imagine what it must be like to play for that team. <laughs> and I feel like, you know. Do you know, think
1: they're, like, all in on it? They're like, hell yeah. Like, no. we love you, Kyrie. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going out there, man. I don't
0: think they are, no. Especially because, like, <laughs> they have a lot of young players, weirdly. Like, Nick Claxton's 23. They have, of course, David Duke Jr., best name in the NBA. That's um,
1: horrific. How come that's got to be People have got to be talking about the fact that He's playing with Kyrie, right? Oh, that's a great
0: point I don't think that's come up yet um, But yeah, I mean Just uh, Why would you not go by Dave? Sure, Davey Davey, Davey Duke, Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Makes some men go wheat woo uh, Is that, that before your men's,
1: time? Men's jean shorts are called Davy Dukes
0: Star tr- Struck by 303 Do you know that song?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's what... Yeah, okay, good. Um, But, so... What do you think, like, 10 games before one of the two gets traded?
1: I mean, it yeah. It seems gotta, untenable. Like, no one's gonna... Not even the Lakers are gonna take Kyrie right now, right? I think they... Well, I,
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I know Lakers like,
1: fans would, because bizarrely, like, there's a lot of people out there who haven't been bothered by what Kyrie is saying. Anyway... We're not talking. We said we weren't Shit. talking about that. Um, but
0: we are, you know. I think uh, the the are more surprising here was the two and six Nets or the two and five Lakers. And now that the Lake, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say the Lakers are like turning it around. They won two straight games, which yeah, feels maybe. like a victory given that they lost the first five. Russell I'm, Westbrook. I'm feeling
1: good about my pick in the uh, future teams draft. Do you mm. We did that. I, in yeah the last round. Type flyer on the I was thinking bench, about like that easy. and I
0: was like, who do I have? The Rams under 500, Oof. like the Warriors, pretty sure they're under 500 right yeah. now. We're going to talk about them shortly. Um, yeah, I don't think we did well in that draft. Maybe I think you I did better.
1: The Avalanche because I picked first overall and they, I think, are under 500. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, but Russell Westbrook, he does seem to be in a it does seem to be a positive thing that he's coming off the bench that does seem to be working for them to some degree to of
1: things that seem untenable how like is russ do you think he, it's working on the court do you think he's fine with it i think here's what i think i think russell westbrook is a
0: very prideful person and so obviously like you know there was the whole thing at the beginning of the season where he was like me coming off the bench in that one preseason game caused me to get hurt, which was one of the dumbest things of all time. Um, But I feel like because he is so prideful, he would rather be in a situation where like, he's weirdly so prideful that he is willing to be flexible because he would rather succeed in a situation that is not ideal for him that like he would not prefer than he would be to flounder in a like a situation he wants. So like I think of like Carmelo Anthony on the Thunder when it was like everyone was like Carmelo Anthony should be coming off the bench like this just makes sense and he was like I'm a starter like and I feel like Russ had that mentality as well for a long for like a year basically and I feel like at this point he has maybe finally started to sort of move his pair shift his paradigm so that he can see like it's better for me to be like hypothetically because you know it's only been two games or something three games but hypothetically it's better for me to be like a sixth man of the year contender than it is for me to be universally derided as like one of the worst starters in the league
1: yeah and i do that's a very interesting point about the ego there chris this is going to expose me as a bad fan slash journalist is carmelo anthony in the nba right now
0: he is not, no. I think he is Lakers. in the classic. <laughs> Lakers. Lakers. Um, I think he is doing the classic. I'll wait until midseason. And then, you know, I think I think probably he's like, if you, you guys are 555 games into the season, then I will sign with you.
1: And I will push you one game over 500.
0: <laughs> and that's the Carmelo Anthony guarantee. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the the Lakers, do you think that they maybe have turned a corner here? Or is it just too early to say?
1: They I mean, do, I do still have the there's... worst
0: offense in the in the league.
1: Yeah, there's something there. They're certainly not as bad as the 0-5 start. But, I mean, the supporting cast is terrible. The Russell Westbrook move that got rid of all of their depth might go down as like one of the worst trades in NBA history. If it hasn't already. Um, so, yeah, I would say for more surprising, I would say the Brooklyn Nets are more surprising if not just because, like, on paper, the Nets are far better than the Lakers.
0: Yeah, like, they have a really strong supporting cast. Like, you know, I, I don't think Seth Curry is healthy, but, you know, they have, like, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, like, guys who would, like, the Lakers would love to have Joe Harris. Oh
1: my god, the Lakers would trade... LeBron James. For
0: <laughs> but yeah, like, oh man, that's like, that's a great point. They also could have had Isaiah Jackson, who's really good for the Pacers, um, as like a backup power forward or sometimes a starter. Like they traded Catavius Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, and the draft rights to Isaiah Jackson. Like that, that's basically what they're missing. <laughs> it's like yeah. those four guys, like Lonnie Walker, respectfully, Lonnie Walker, the fourth is not cutting it as your, like, your Contavious Caldwell Pope The Skywalker.
1: Um, sure. But, yeah, and then couldn't they also, like, not sign Alex Caruso because they yes. traded for Russell Westbrook? And, like, DeMar DeRozan thought he was going to be a Laker and then they traded for Russell Westbrook there. Yes.
0: Is a very... DeMar DeRozan was going to take, like, the mid-level exception and go to the Lakers. Yeah. And they were like, never Probably mind. Probably give them,
1: like, 25 points a game.
0: Like, oh how... Like, it's... It's crazy how good that team would be probably. I mean like Yeah,
1: and it's like it's all all it takes is one move different. Like it's a universe so close to our own where LeBron is threatening for his fifth championship if he hasn't won it already. Like
0: and it's like it's not even a it's like it's a just don't do anything. <laughs> like the yeah, move is to, to not make a move.
1: Yeah. Oh, Lakers. Uh okay, we've got a couple other more surprising head to heads here, Chris. <laughs>
0: Yeah, now that we spent 20 minutes talking about the Nets and Lakers after we said we wouldn't talk our about cold team. open, talking about how <laughs> we talk too much about underwhelming teams.
1: Yes, well, I've got a. You're going to tell me if this team is overwhelming. What are you more surprised by, Chris, the six and one Cleveland Cavaliers or the four and five Miami Heat?
0: In my recollection, I feel like I'm consistently higher on the Heat than most people. In my recollection, I was not super high on the Cavs. I'm just looking at my I think I wrote down some season predictions here. Yeah, I had the Cavs in like the 7 spot, so sort of in the, I think most people coming into the season sort of had a top tier of the Sixers, Celtics and Bucks in some order and then the second tier is kind of the Raptors, Bulls, Cavs and Hawks and it could still very well shake out to that. Like I think that's a pretty reasonable uh, way that Things could shake out in the season I, still, but certainly the Cavs are, you know, better than expected. They are the, still the second ranked defense. I think last year they were, I think, a top 10 defense. And then the sixth ranked offense, they're really, like, blowing teams out right now. Like, I think they're riding a series of, I think, they had, like, something like five straight double digit wins. They already have two wins over Boston which is really impressive. And so, you know, we've, I think we've talked about this concept on the podcast before uh, when we were talking about the Canucks, the idea that like banking wins early can be so important because, yeah. you know, they're already six and one. If they go 500, the rest of the way for the next like 75 games, or whatever, they're already a 43 win team. It's so, like, you only have to be average from this point on to be a playoff team. Um, so, yeah, I think the that is surprising. They've been doing a lot of it without Darius Garland. Donovan Mitchell has been really good, as he often is, but he does seem to maybe have uh, plussed it up a little bit. We'll see how he continues to play with Darius Garland back in the lineup, but yeah, I really like their team, and I'm really impressed by the way that they've continued to be an elite defense, and I feel like you have to point towards Jared Allen and Evan Mobley for that.
1: Uh, I will say that I think the six and one Cavs are technically more surprising to me, just because six and one is really good. Like the Heat, I know that they made the finals in the bubble and then made the Eastern Conference Finals in Game Seven of that series last year. But it's just like, I don't know. I look at the roster on paper and I'm like, this doesn't seem like a top three team in the East. Although looking at the roster on paper it sometimes leads you astray. Uh, and Spoelstra is a great coach, and Jimmy Butler steps up when it matters. But I, I like they seem pretty old to me so i'm not really surprised like kyle's old butler's butler's got to be getting up there now he's 33 yeah and band's good but like i'm not super surprised that they're struggling a bit out of the gate but i am a huge like cleveland Cavs head i love evan mobley i love jared allen i was a little skeptical about donovan mitchell but he's played really well uh big jb bickerstaff guy love the bicker uh, I'm the world's only big J.B. Bickerstaff guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm in on the Cavs. I'm taking the Cavs. I'm riding this train. Although I do think it's more surprising that they're 6-1 and one than the Heat are 4-5. and five.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Because the Heat's roster, like other than they lost P.J. Tucker, but they don't look that different than they did last year. And But for some reason, it feels like they're like significantly thinner. Um, but I do feel like it's like, Jimmy Butler, who is still playing well, even though he is older. Jimmy Butler, Bam, and Tyler Hero. I think, like, shouldn't that be enough to get you to 50 wins? And like you said, like, Spolch is a great coach. They consistently get more than expected out of of some of those guys. Like, I I thought Caleb Martin was really going to do well stepping into the P.J. Tucker role. He's been okay so far, not blowing anyone's socks off. But it is a little concerning that they're like below average both offensively and defensively right now and they have a lot of roster continuity because usually I find that's the thing that you can sort of point to as like well they have like a lot of turnover so they're not really going to like come out of the gates hot but they might turn it on later. They do have a lot of continuity and so it is a little more concerning to me that they've come out to a slow start but they're also a team that, like, even last year, I was like, well, they can kind of coast the regular season, and if they're in a playoff spot, then, like, they can contend with basically any team in a playoff series, and I don't think I've really changed my feelings about that. Oh, no,
1: yeah, like, I certainly don't think that, except for maybe the Milwaukee Bucks, like, there's no team in the East that I would be surprised if they lost to the Heat, like, and they didn't have Kyle for a lot of last as he was dealing with personal issues, so hopefully they'll have a full season of him, Um. So, yeah, interesting to see. Uh, our next head-to-head, Chris, are you more surprised by the 5-2 and two Portland Trail Blazers? And we'll try and pick up the pace here a little bit. Or the 3-5 <laughs> and five Golden State Warriors?
0: I think it has to be the Warriors, I believe. I mean, one of us must be the owners of the Warriors in that uh, super team draft that we did a little while back. They are the defending champions. Obviously, that can be a blessing or a curse. But I feel like lately, more often than not, we've seen the defending champions come out really hot. Like, obviously, the Raptors had a great season the season after they won the championship, even though they lost Kawhi Leonard. uh, The Lakers, (laughs) less so. But I do feel like there is more of a tendency for teams to, like, come in with the confidence versus coming in with the championship hangover, that sort of thing. The Warriors, obviously, they kept a lot of their lineup for the most part. Like, I think Otto Porter was one of their biggest losses. No one else comes to mind offhand, but like, they pretty much have the same lineup. And so I feel like you have to say that it is the Warriors, especially, you know, getting blown out by Phoenix, um, losing to the Hornets, losing to Detroit. Like, they haven't had a super tough schedule. And have sort of been dropping things. It's hard to really point to one thing, I think, for them, because I don't think they've been playing noticeably different. Um, I think mainly it is like the three-point shooting, they're only shooting under 35% as a team right now. I think you have to expect that given their roster, that will probably pick up like <laughs> Jordan Poole shooting 32% from three, clay Thompson under 30% from three. He's been really bad to start the season. Yeah, Poole Um, has
1: not been good either after they gave him, like, 120 million.
0: Yeah, and, you know, obviously the Warriors, as long as Steph Curry's around, they're going to be a huge jump-shooting team. And for them to be bottom 10 or, you know, bottom 12 or whatever in three-point percentage, I think that is obviously going to lead to some losses. And I feel like that, even just that alone, is going to push them back towards being, like, a 50 to 55 win team versus a 500 team.
1: Yeah. I mean, of course, in what feels like years and years ago, we did have the big uh, incident in Golden State Warriors preseason between Mm -hmm. Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Do you think that's having any effect?
0: I don't think so. I think that, you know, I feel like winning, you know, as is often said, it sort of cures all ills. Where And so maybe it's like they haven't really gotten rolling yet, and so they don't quite have that sort of comfortability factor yet. But, I mean, like, you know, they they started their season with a big win against the Lakers. Um, they started 2-2, two and two, which is, you know, maybe a little underwhelming, but they've dropped three straight since then. I think the bigger concern is defense, because I feel like a lot of those players, especially like Andrew Wiggins, but then he's still playing good defense, so it's hard to say but i think when you have a team that has sort of that hunger that they that engagement on things like defense and you know doing small things becomes more of a spotlight for them and so maybe a team that's coming off of a championship that is sort of like willing to rest on their laurels a little bit more maybe things like defense become less of a concern for them and they just sort of need to you know look at themselves and be like we're not a sub-500 team, we can be better than this, and we should be better.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know about you, Chris, but I think they will be better. Uh, so for our last one here, uh, I'm going to give us the big one, Chris. There are two teams that are making noise, making names for themselves so far. They were thought to be maybe the top two teams in the Wembenyama Bowl, the Wimblyama. Um mm-hmm. but neither one... Go into plan so far who is more surprising to you the six and three utah jazz or the five and three san antonio spurs
0: i think just based on hmm they both have such great rosters because <laughs> <laughs> i think the you know other than Lori Markkinen who is getting all-star buzz you know 10 games into well the deserved. season well um, I think the Jazz roster is maybe a little more underwhelming in terms of top-line talent. Like, you know, Keldon Johnson has been awesome to start the season. Um, big fan of him. Obviously, Jakob Purtle can always play well. Like, But their bench is so bad. Obviously, you know, speaking of off-court issues, they lost Josh Primo, who I think was sort of going to figure into being a, a pretty significant rotation player for them don't really have a bench like if you look at their after josh primo uh their bench guys are like josh richardson doug mcdermott and then you're looking at guys like zach collins you're looking at guys like romeo langford you're looking at guys like kita bates diop and it's like all of those guys should be on an nba roster i think it's fair to say should they be the seventh or eighth guy in a rotation <laughs> i think almost certainly not but the big thing for me Griffin is this, the Utah Jazz currently the 14th ranked offense, the 10th ranked defense, very impressive. The San Antonio Spurs, the 20th ranked offense and the 26th ranked defense. How are <laughs> they 5 and 3? I know they just hey, they lost by 40 to the, the Raptors. One. They lost by 30 to the Hornets on opening night. Like they have had some thin wins and some big losses which can sort of cause that polarization, but like To be bottom 10 in both categories and be over 500 is basically unheard of.
1: Yeah, I think that's the power of Popovich. Uh, Best coach (laughs) in the league, coach of the year incoming (laughs) for Coach Pop. All right. uh, Well, some surprising starts in the NBA. It's been a fun first couple of games, and it's been a fun first 30 to 40 minutes here on the podcast. Uh, We're going to take a quick break refresh recharge relax and uh we'll be back with a fun new game right here on high floor low ceiling and we are back here the floors are high the ceilings are low very accurate uh because i don't think we've had a lot of growth over the year and a bit that we've been doing this podcast chris
0: it's Not still the pretty... same great podcast yeah like i think we like started at a seven, and now we're like an eight, and we just kind of hang out there. Like, who needs okay. to be a ten? Who needs to
1: knock it out not of the park? Me, that's for sure. Uh, uh but- speaking of knocking it out of the park. Yeah, Griffin, you came up with a game. I activation. did
0: I was not referring to my game as knocking it out of the park, but speaking of knocking it out of the park, Griffin, a team that did not knock it out of the park, or even did out of the infield for the most part. <laughs> um, we're the Philadelphia Phillies uh, yesterday at the time that we are recording this in game four of the World Series. By the time this comes out, game five will have happened, but who cares? Um, <laughs> listen to the freaking daily podcast if you want to know what happened in today <laughs> or yesterday.
1: Time. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'll predict it. I think, I think Houston's taken this one. I think this might be over in six. I, I, was, magic. I was thinking the same thing, but then it I was actually thinking that
0: exact thing last night uh Astros and 6 but you know it nothing seems impossible at this point like I've counted Philly out at basically every turn and they have had put together two really good games um but you know I think the most impressive thing from last night's game of course the Astros pitching the combined no-hitter Christian Javier having a terrific uh Terrific outing, obviously no hits, but <laughs> six innings of uh work. I think he had nine strikeouts. Um, and yeah, just a really, really strong game out of him. And so I had the idea. This was just a thought that popped into my head. I was like, how hard would it be for one of us to pitch a no-hitter? And I was like, it's impossible.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but then I started thinking about like I, I sort of lowered my expectations a little bit, and I was like, How hard would it be? How many attempts would it take? How long would it take for any of us, for (laughs) any of us, either of us, to complete various NBA tasks? So Griffin, I've called this the games game. I like it. And so we are going to take a look at various uh, sports achievements, and we are going to take a guess at how many attempts, how many games, how many whatever's it will take for us to complete each of these things and I will start with us not even equaling what Christian Javier did last night he pitched six hitless innings I'm saying we we have to pitch an MLB shutout start so six innings without surrendering a run because I do think that no matter how hard we tried We just are not natural athletes and it would be virtually impossible for us to pitch, you know, not natural professional level athletes (laughs) and it would be virtually impossible for us to pitch a no hit, a no hitter, like even no matter how many times we tried. So I've lowered the standards to a shutout start, six shutout innings.
1: I think even if you constructed a lineup of the greatest defensive players, like Nolan Arenado at third, Ozzie Smith at second, Andrew Jones in center field. Like, I don't know about you, if you know this about yourself. I, when I went to Cooperstown a few years ago, when I was in more of my athletic prime, uh, (laughs) closer to like university age, Mm -hmm. I, I, I hit like 67 on the see how hard you can pitch. But that was with all of my effort into one pitch and certainly no movement and no command. (laughs) So if we assume that in order to last six innings, I'm going up there and throwing flat 60 miles an hour, (laughs) With no clue where it is going. So the
0: thing thing that I'm doing, I'm thinking like it's like Groundhog Day. So it's like you wake up every day, like you're rested, you're fresh, you're ready to go. It's against the same lineup and you carry over your skills from one game to the next. So it's not like you pitch once and then you come back again and you're still your normal self. Like you are accruing the athleticism and the skill over time
1: is it a normal major league baseball lineup or is it like all like martin maldonados like can it be still major league players but like the nine worst hitters in baseball? I don't think
0: worst hit- I think it has does to be a league matter? average team. Okay. I think it does matter. I think it I think it really does actually because especially like I think the a lack of power hitters will be a big thing like if you're getting guys who don't hit for power then it's going to be a lot easier I think to pitcher shut up any because you're not just randomly
1: going to give up a home run to right. a home run hitter but i mean baseball is a game that naturally pitcher favors the pitcher favors the paver um so i'm going to say if you gave me groundhog day scenario 50,000 tries i feel like wow. i could eventually get a thing where everything went right and i was my defense was positioned perfectly on every play Maybe it was windy, so the ball didn't leave the park as easily. Uh, so that's what I'm going with fifty thousand I, I was
0: gonna start the bit i was I thought I was gonna like blow you out of the water and be like, ten thousand. That's like what I'm starting at. I feel like you know i I think you maybe are like underestimating how many games ten thousand games is, maybe I am, yeah. Like, you know, right, well, obviously, why, don't
1: we, why don't we knock it down to 20,000? I'll, I'll bet on myself.
0: I think that's a fair place to go because, you know, obviously the, the 10,000 hours rule is uh, a big part of this. And obviously, like, the first... Oh, so
1: am I, am I going to be getting better over time?
0: Yeah, that's that's the idea. Is like, you know, in the okay. same way that Bill Murray mastered the piano, right. you're going to be accruing your skills and your knowledge and everything over time with each passing game.
1: Okay, gotcha. So maybe I'll learn how to throw like a curveball or something.
0: Yeah, maybe you and can hit game like five hundred. <laughs> yeah, maybe like game five thousand you're throwing like eighty. Ooh. Um <laughs> It's a fun thought, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I think I think that's fair because like, you know, the first how many games before you strike someone out, do you think? Um, I'm gonna say that's... like at least a few thousand.
1: Yeah, because I have like, every once in a while, if I'm throwing the ball around in the backyard, I can, like, I'll try and throw a slider and, like, get a bit of movement on it and be like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. Um, so I am, it's going to take me a long time just to learn how to throw a breaking ball, which I think mm-hmm. is necessary to strike out major league hitters. Absolutely. And then even longer to learn how to, like, tunnel my fastball and my breaking ball so that they look the same coming out of my hand. Then even longer to control the breaking ball. And then even when I can throw the breaking ball for strikes, let's say that's around game 1,000, I'm still probably only throwing 70, 75. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. And I think, you know, there's maybe you get an hour with the pitching coach.
1: Yeah. That'd uh, be
0: nice. Uh, things, things like that. Uh, but I think that's fair, Griffin. So we're going to say 20,000 games to pitch an MLB shutout start. Uh, six this six. one. I was going to say, like, a 30-point, 40-point, 50-point game uh, in the NBA, but I feel like that's, like, so hard. You have to be so athletic just to, like, even just have the cardio, I think, to score 50 points. Like, the Corey Brewer is a classic example. But, like, Corey Brewer is, like, a tremendous athlete. Like, he, even though he is not an amazing NBA player, I think he could certainly drop 50 on either of us and on about – with 15 shots fold
1: on like
0: <laughs> yeah so the challenge i've put to us griffin is for an nba double double i'm assuming we're not getting boards due to our natural height disadvantage
1: you are taller than me uh so yeah i'm you, still you might have a chance i'm at a still boards, you i should. would
0: still be one of the shortest <laughs> players in the nba
1: um
0: <laughs> But yeah, so I'm I'm guessing points and assists here. So 10 points, 10 assists. Obviously, your teammates, my logic was your teammates are sort of helping you out here yeah. by tallying these assists. But you do still have to score 10 points on your own.
1: I mean, I would assume that there's like, is Twitter a thing? Do I have to deal with the repercussions of my performance? <laughs> because I'm thinking, honestly, the best way to do this is just like launch shots from like your own free throw line and just try and fluke in. Two or three right. of and then maybe right. draw a foul. Although no NBA defender would ever have to foul y- you to like guard you.
0: But you can get a whistle.
1: And then the assists. The assists are sort of like, I mean, ten assists is obviously difficult, but that's out of my hands. Like I'll, I can set up simple assists. Right, so you can one get lucky. I think is definitely easier than Major League Baseball.
0: To be clear, I was not intending all of these to be of equal import or to require an equal number of games. I think. Probably the MLB shutout start is the hardest. Uh, maybe top two of any of these. Yeah,
1: we'll get we'll get to the one that I think is the hardest. I don't think we've gotten there yet. Um, but yeah, I'm for this one. I'm going to say 500 games.
0: I think that's low still. i believe going I I like your idea, and I think you know the logic here is sort of. It would be even more interesting. Would be to score a double-double, and win the game.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's not happening. (laughs) I am getting the ball every time, and I'm launching a shot from three-quarters until I knock four of them in, and then I am then only passing to teammates around the basket for the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, I think that that's the way to go. Um, So yeah, maybe you're right, because especially like your defense is going to be so bad that they're going to be running up the score and you're going to get a lot of possessions. It's going to like be like a fifties game. Yeah. And so I think that that is going to make things a little bit easier. I'm still going to say, I'm still going to say like a thousand games.
1: Okay. You're hitting the quad digits. I'm going to stick with my 500. I believe in myself. I'm not terrible at the long distance shots. Sure. Uh, all right. The next one, Chris, I think to not to tip my hand, this is the one that I think will be the hardest.
0: I think that's right. But, yeah, I don't know. Because, like, it's hard. Oh, it's so hard. (laughs) Yeah. But then it's like, I don't know. I couldn't even begin. Like, I'm at a zero for pitching a baseball of any any kind. I do know how to drive. So this one is we have to win an F1 race. And I agree with you. Like it's incredibly hard, but I yeah, feel I like, I, know, like I'm you can starting go to
1: a go-kart track and whip around the track and sort of feel like, you know what you're doing. First of all, I think like, I don't know if you've ever seen, there are videos out there of normal people trying to drive F1 cars and like a person like you or I, physically cannot get them going fast enough to make them work properly like the aerodynamics and the air cooling and things like that the brakes and the tires the car has to be going a certain speed just to work as designed and like you and i have never driven half of that speed my entire life so like i think that is step one step two is learning how to drive stick i don't know how to drive manual me neither Uh, but don't they have like paddles they do have paddles. It's not an actual stick. So it's more probably like gears on a bike, um, which I do know how to do. Um, and then there's so, so you, much you technical... You just can't be
0: pedaling backwards <laughs> in the car.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's so much technical knowledge that just goes into operating the car before you even get into the ungodly like reflexes and years of training that they've all been doing since they were 10 years old and then the physical demands that a formula one race takes on your body like i was watching the uh, mexican grand prix when i saw carlos Sainz going down the straightaway in his ferrari and i was like it doesn't really seem like they're going that fast like just because the track is very long and the camera angles are wide and things like that like it's like it doesn't look like they're going that fast and then they put up the speed thing and you see that he's going 340 kilometers an hour and then it's like okay well yeah that's how fast they go like 300 and then you actually sit down and think <laughs> driving 340 it's kilometers like, an hour like it's more I than go, twice
0: as fast as the fastest car you've ever seen in real life <laughs>
1: exactly yeah like if i go 140 on the 401 like i'm like freaking out like i'm like how the how the hell did i get driving this fast i've probably only done it once in my entire life and like to more than double that,
0: right? So here, here I'm gonna lay out a few things that I think will give us an advantage over the average driver, over you know Lewis Hamilton or whomever. One, average.
1: Sir Lewis <laughs> Hamilton,
0: freaking this year. Have you seen this guy driving? It's his car. It's his car. Driving. Try to get the car working. I heard about this. Um, number one, we know the track better than anyone we will have driven oh, it we, that's true. several hundred times number two we're not afraid because of the groundhog day rules we're not afraid of crashing the car or of dying because I, I do feel that's like a major a thing hack. like for driving fast is like i don't want to die <laughs> so i'm not going <laughs> to drive fast but it's like we can like sort of pl- drive pretty recklessly or more recklessly than the average person probably would because we're not afraid to crash our car or to die
1: also in theory not afraid to kill anyone else (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that's a separate moral thing but they would be fine the next day right
0: right right it's all gonna get reset um number three and this isn't really an advantage but this is just a thought i have like you're i do think that maybe obviously going 340 kilometers is a drastically different experience, but your brain does adjust when you're driving that quickly. Like when, if you're dry, if you're on the highway and you're going like 130, then you're, it does start to feel like it doesn't feel that different from driving 60 or 70, yeah. like in, in, in a city, you do start to sort of catch up to the way things are moving. And so, even though it's insanely fast, I feel like it's not quite as crazy as like you, as we're sort of thinking about it sitting going zero miles an hour as we currently are.
1: <laughs> we that is the high floor low ceiling guarantee. We will always do this podcast at zero miles an hour. Mm. Um, I think if pitching a shutout start was 20,000, considering we are starting from absolute zero, I think we're talking like, for me at least, thousands of attempts just to do a lap to at finish. Formula One speed. Oh, Like, and then from there to have to success- successfully finish an entire race with no mistakes, tens of thousands more attempts, and then from there to win a race, I think I'm looking at probably 100,000 attempts to Wow, crack this one.
0: Wow, huge number. The one other thing that I did think of is like with an MLB start, like, obviously, there is some luck involved, I guess, just with how a hitter is hitting on a given day, but it's more directly reliant on your skill as well. Nice. And and also with the F1 race, like, you do have, let's say, I think hypothetically we have to say you have the best car available to you, like, oh, I don't know yeah. if it's Red Bull or whatever. Um, this year it's
1: Red Bull, yes.
0: Yeah, but whichever car is considered the best, we have that, and so that's, like, a huge advantage as well. Um... And I just think, like, there's more there's more variance. I feel like. It's easier to sort of have a lucky day. Like, things break down. People, like, will randomly drop out of the race. Like, it's not just your arm against someone else's bat. Like, it's yeah, not as direct.
1: Yeah, you'll lose two or three cars from the race over the course of it, uh, for the most part. So, but... Yeah, I don't... I think this one, for people like us, is nigh impossible I
0: think I'm gonna set mine I think I think this one in pitching LB shut shutout is a, about the same I think I'm gonna air just because you set the number so high I'm gonna air a little higher and say 40,000 attempts I can win an F1 race
1: do you think we could like we should try and set this up try and, yeah
0: uh, definitely yeah, how do okay. you want to get the Lazarus machine working
1: yeah <laughs> I, I mean, all I have to do in theory... Is there ever any explanation for what happens to him in Groundhog Day? There's no, like, witch or anything, is there? Doesn't it just sort no, of like, No, it just happens. Damn. Goals.
0: Uh, <laughs> sure. We've got a couple more here. Uh, this one, I think, is an interesting one because you have a few different ways to go about it. And I think this is by far the easiest, but I'm, I'm interested to hear what number you're going to give it. In an NFL game, you have to score a touchdown. You can pass for a touchdown, you can rush for a touchdown, you can receive a touchdown, but you must score a touchdown. How oh, I many can games? Can pass
1: for a touchdown? Yeah. Oh.
0: You're just going to put the ball up for grabs. But let's say like you have to you're not like in the red zone. It's like you're starting from like it's a touchback Oh, back, you have basically. to lead
1: a touchdown drive. You have
0: to drive. Yeah. I think okay, I think that I has to be could, it because like, I
1: not just like come in on the two and throw it up to Travis Kelsey twenty times and yeah. he will probably catch one of them? Like,
0: yeah, I think that is the case. So, how many how many attempts? Because you know, obviously, this isn't full games, but how many attempts or is it going to take you to finish a touchdown drive? And let's say, if you're, hmm, this is tough because if you're the running back, I don't think it's reasonable to expect you to rush on every possession. No. But I feel like if you're the receiver, then you do have to catch every pass.
1: Okay. I'm definitely going to choose quarterback for this just because, like, I don't think, no matter how much I train, just based on my body that I was born with, I don't think it'll ever be possible for me to, like, lose an NFL defender. <laughs> like, sure. They are such incredible athletes, linebackers or cornerbacks or whatever you want to say, that there will be no route I could ever run or no, like, blocking scheme that could ever spring me where I would not just immediately be killed uh, as soon as the ball touched my hands (laughs) and would, like, never be able to touch the ball if I was a receiver. So I'm definitely choosing quarterback um, for this. And I think, like, this isn't going to be too terrible for me just because, like, when you're the quarterback, of course you're the most important player, but the offensive line can give me some time, like... I'm going to have to get rid of that ball because if I take a sack, I'm I'm starting over the next day fresh. Um, <laughs> so and the true. receiver can, in theory, get open. Like, I could throw just, like, six-yard slant routes repeatedly. But uh, don't you think the one thing,
0: so, you know, if we're saying that we're trying to do it in the fewest number of attempts, don't you think you'd
1: lose so many attempts as quarterback just throwing picks? I would throw a lot of picks, but it's just, like, I mean, I guess the other option is, like, a fullback from, like, the <laughs> one-yard line. <laughs> Just hope that my unconscious body falls across the goal line. Uh well, you I, have I'd, to do the full drive. Right, yes. Okay, so, yeah, I think it's got to be quarterback. And this one I'm going to go with 200. I think that I could get this one done. I played a little flag football in university. 200
0: drives?
1: 200 games we're we're saying like
0: i'm saying the number of drives because obviously oh, okay. a game i guess you know there can be a set number of
1: drives in a game but okay well then let's go with 500 that seems crazy low to me i i believe in myself on you do i don't think to... i don't think the quarterback is that important i think i could go out there like teddy bridgewater leads a touchdown drive once out of every 500 i think i could i could i could match that
0: let's look at teddy bridgewater's college stats <laughs> I'm just because I'm curious. I do. I think that being an NFL quarterback, like to me, the the reason I would not necessarily want to be the quarterback is it just requires so much more knowledge. Like, I feel like you'd have to practice so much more, just even to just like complete a pass in the NFL. Even if you have a great receiver, I think it takes so much like knowledge and awareness and mental ability beyond just the physical ability to throw the football. I think that it takes so much just to be able to like read like go through progressions like we see like great college quarterbacks who can't do that uh Teddy Bridgewater of course threw for 3970 yards with a 71% completion 31 touchdowns four picks at Louisville uh do you think that you could put up similar numbers in a college offense uh
1: no but <laughs> I think that I could lead one touchdown drive out of 500.
0: I think I'm going running back here. Both because, like, I'm trying to game the system a little bit because I feel like, you know, if I'm not, teams don't run that much. If I'm not getting the ball every possession, then that's, like, giving more opportunities for other people to sort of give me chunks of yardage. But, you know, I think to be reasonable I you have to say you're going to be running a fair amount like you're going to be the three down back you're not like just coming in for one play uh things like that but I feel like the running back you know you're talking about the offensive line I feel like a good offensive line is going to help me as a running back but then it's like if I get hit once won't I just die
1: <laughs> yeah I mean that's the problem is that like if you get hit once I don't think you're coming back in that drive you gotta reach Right. I think receiver is You just out. gotta go straight to the sideline for like a two yard gain every time, try and get Yeah, it. end around. But you're never gonna like we would never make it to the sideline before like Roquan Smith just obliterates us and sends our family to flowers. Channel. like <laughs> Sends our
0: family flowers. Yeah, I guess like the thing is if I would need a you need a lot of cardio training, I think first and foremost. And so maybe, maybe it is quarterback. I think this one, regardless, I'm setting the bar at, um, I think it's high just because we're talking about touch. We're talking about drives, not games. And so I think by default, like it's going to be, you're sort of multiplying the amount. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to set the bar at like 10,000
1: minimum. 10,000. Yeah. I think it's really that hard. Like I think, I think your choice of running back is really hampering you. I don't think so because I think even
0: for a quarterback, I think you are vastly overestimating your quarterback skills.
1: I can throw a football. I know how to throw. A I ball.
0: really think for the first like a thousand tries, you're throwing an interception every time.
1: No way. If, I, I if not every,
0: if not every pass, then <laughs> every drive, you're throwing an interception. I for real, I think probably between I mean, I'm go- I'm one throw and five thousand. <laughs>
1: I'm like, so gonna throw a lot of interceptions, but I'll learn the the defense. Uh,
0: I think that I think I'll have the
1: offensive coordinator in my year giving me the plays.
0: Sure, you've got your little thingy.
1: Yeah, exactly. I can, On the I wrist. can scramble for three or four yards, slide I down. I Don't
0: think you can scramble for three or four yards. <laughs> try, and I really don't. A,
1: but you're gonna get it as a running back. I can try and pick yeah, up just, a couple roughing the I'm Frank Gorinet. I'm
0: Frank Gore in it. I'm getting. I'm getting the most rushing yards just by attrition. Uh, That's how I'm playing.
1: Anytime any defender touches me, without even having to flop, I will be naturally knocked back six yards. So I think I can pick up a lot of roughing the passer penalties. (laughs) I will, uh, can you imagine how stupid I would look in an NFL uniform playing quarterback?
0: I actually can't Five picture it very clearly
1: guy behind There's all like huge his six shoulder pads. Line. Yeah. <laughs> like can you see the receivers just throwing it straight up in the air?
0: I think that's an issue as well. You would not be able to see
1: over the offensive I line. Get and of also, point.
0: I think an underrated thing is the helmet. It's gonna be hard to see in that helmet.
1: I, I literally don't think I've ever worn a football helmet. Have you ever worn I don't a think I have helmet?
0: either. Maybe once or twice. How hard could it be?
1: No it's <laughs> hard I to think. see out of is those F1 helmets. That'll take some.
0: Mm, to. Absolutely. Um, Griffin, we have one more here. We're running a little long.
1: Hey, this the is high this a really fun game. I'm enjoying this. I think <laughs> it's, it's a okay. Sure, I'm, I'm enjoying, enjoying
0: it way. as well. Um we had to pay a tribute to the stalwart of High Floor, Low Ceiling. The mascot of High Floor, Low Ceiling. <laughs> okay, the, insulting. <laughs> the king of the PVC, Phil Taylor. Griffin, lovely, how lovely. many attempts will it take you in a game of darts to hit the nine data? The legendary uh, accomplishment. Uh, of course, uh, seven triple 20s, a triple 19, and a double 12 is the the way to do it. Uh let's see it has been achieved on television 64 times okay. in the last 38 years
1: oh, uh, just to give you a like once a year uh phil <laughs> taylor has achieved this feat more than any other darts player on television chris over under how many nine darters do you think phil taylor has i'm gonna say 10 and a half over under that is so accurate that it makes me think you cheated. Phil Taylor has 11 career, 9 darts. Wow! Um, that's insane. So if Phil Taylor can do it 11 times, obviously Phil Taylor plays a lot of darts. I'm very inconsistent with my darts. I can, like, get one in the triple 20, and then the next one's missing the board by 3 feet. However, right. I do think that darts, like, if you just go out and you just play darts every day, like, you'll get good pretty quickly it's not like these other sports we've done where you have to be a physical freak right it requires less natural athleticism and more but i do think it's still gonna take a long time to get that good like i do think that like i'm starting from a bit of a higher floor but the ceiling to get a nine darter is so ridiculously high I've already forgotten the nine darts that you told me that they need. Um, I
0: believe it's seven triple twenties, a triple nineteen, and a double twelve. But then okay. there also there's some flexibility there. So if you do mess right. up, then there might be you might be able to salvage it.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna give myself uh, five thousand attempts to get a nine darter.
0: So basically, five thousand sort G- of. Let's game. let's say you just you throw nine darts, basically. Yeah. Okay, 5,000.
1: Yeah, if mm. I don't hit the triple 20 on the first one, can I still throw the other eight to get a little better?
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. You're allowed. Yeah. Um, hmm, 5,000. Hmm, hmm, hmm. This one's tough because there is a little more luck involved, I think, where you can just, like, on a good day, like, you know, you're never going to randomly, like, pitch a strikeout. Whereas you could randomly, like, hit three triple 20s in a row or something like that. Yeah. I do agree with you, though. This one is probably the easiest. Also because you're not competing against anyone.
1: Just yourself.
0: Right. The ultimate competition. I will say... I'm going to agree with you. I think around five... mm, That might be a little low still. I'm going to say 10,000 attempts to hit this... uh, mm, but, and is it on television? That's another question. Because I do feel like if I'm just by myself in an empty room, I could do it f- much faster. You think so, eh? I, I and if, think that you know, the crowded darts are, hall.
1: you
0: <laughs> You think I'm a great pressure performer? Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I'm going to say 10,000 attempts just to do what Phil Taylor's done 11 times and hit that coveted nine-darter Griffin- that is the conclusion of our segment. We got to get. very out of much here. enjoyed it. We got to get out of here. Uh, HFLC podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, hit it up. Uh, it's going to be verified soon, I imagine.
1: Yeah. It's coming um, out of Chris's pocket.
0: Abso fruitly. Thank you all for listening. Give us I've said absolutely twice now. Yeah. Uh, give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, follow us of course. Send us some cash if you want to uh, see us get verified for a month. Just send us $8. (laughs) Uh, Listen to Got the Runs. Listen to Bevy of Bevies. Listen to, Griffin, do you have any updates on the OUA Basketball Show?
1: Yes, the OUA Basketball Show made its debut earlier this week. The first ever episode, we had the legendary OUA Basketball figure, Trung Ho, on. uh, The runner of In the Fourth U, a great Instagram page all about U Sports Basketball. Uh, so yeah, check that out on the OUA YouTube channel and uh, keep your eyes peeled because it's going to be a fun season of OUA basketball. Yes,
0: twice a week, I believe those uh, shows will be coming out. Right? You sound like you watch the show, Chris. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a fan of your career. Um, twice a week, those will be coming out, so check those out. Obviously, if you love hearing Griffin, you're going to love hearing him talk about some great basketball content That is going to do it for this week's episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Until next time, please keep your floors high and your ceilings low.